Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Is it possible to be so down that you can't get back up? Anybody in the room ever feel like, maybe like I've felt a time or two, that you sin so bad that God has to be done with you? Do you ever feel that maybe you've been forgotten by God or forgotten by someone you love and you're just forgotten? Do you ever feel like it's so bad that even God can't intervene? you ever feel that things have gone so far wrong that there is no coming back? Well, this, hold on, let me see. Let me do my best veggie tales first. Well, have I got a story for you. <laughs> Today we're going to embrace a new sermon series called The Comeback. And The Comeback is looking at some famous stories in Scripture of people who came back from the impossible. There are people that should have been counted out, but they came back. More than that, God uses them to encourage us that we can have a comeback as well. So today, I started this sermon, sermon right here, started prepping it, thinking I was going somewhere, only to have it, hold on, God turned it around. It gave me a different message out of this passage than I thought. I thought I was approaching the story of a guy named the Apostle Peter. I thought I was approaching it the right way. And then as I spent time in the text over and over again, it turned around. Because I realized that it's stories like the story of Peter that confirm to us, first of all, the Bible is reliable. Come on. Peter is basically the leader of the early church, right? If you're going to tell the story of the leader of your movement after Jesus dies, are you going to create him as the, the figure we see in the Scriptures? The one who's always seeming to stick, Peter, born with foot and mouth. He, he didn't have hoof and mouth disease. He had foot and mouth disease. And Peter, you, you would never paint these stories except for one thing. This is a true representation of who Peter was. And, and I always sort of considered Peter like the lovable loser kind of guy. You know, he's the big mouth that always is making promises he can't, you know, making promises. It's sort of like the Browns promising a Super Bowl appearance. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so if the New Testament was fiction, you wouldn't put these stories about Peter. What's remarkable to me is these stories about Peter and his reality. Do, do you realize that according to Irenaeus, who was an early church father, it was Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark but it was Peter who told them all the stories. And the, the people of Rome asked, say, hey, Mark, uh, uh, said to Peter, said, Peter, would you, these stories you keep telling us about Jesus, would you put them in written form? And a church father said that it was, it was at the urging of the elders of the church that Mark recorded Peter's words. And when you read the story, Stories of the Gospels, you find Peter presenting himself not as the winner all the time, but sometimes the lovable loser. I think that's interesting. 
So today, I want to look at the Rocky of the New Testament. Peter. And I'm going to tell you why, because anybody ever see the Rockies, you know? Rocky goes 14 rounds, gets the holy snot kicked out of him, and then in the 15th round, he knocks the Russian out, right? Maybe we should send him to, uh, no, sorry, sorry. (laughs) That's what I want to talk to you about today, is the guy, Peter is the Rocky. No matter how many shots he takes, he keeps coming back. I thought I was going to talk to you about Peter, you know, the guy that God redeemed in spite of his stupidity. But instead, for the first time in my 40-something years of reading the Bible, I saw Peter for what I think he truly is, the guy who just wouldn't quit. So I want to look at some of his story today. There's one thing I want you to notice, that every disappointment, every failure, every stupid statement, Peter was there. The other people weren't there, but you know who was there? Peter. He may have made mistakes while he was there, but you know where he was? He was there. He wasn't somewhere else. He wasn't running. He wasn't hiding. He was there. He was present. Peter was always in the mix because he just couldn't stay away. So Peter could experience a comeback because he kept coming back. Hold on, I don't think you got that. Y'all need to listen to this real quick. Peter experienced a comeback because he kept coming back. Not he kept winning, but he just kept showing back up again. It reminds me of Harvest Flues of this past week. Come on, can I brag on this church for a second? We were bragging our deacons meeting. We're bragging our staff meeting. I'm just going to brag out loud. Guys, it was raining. I'm standing under the pavilion doing my thing, praying my prayer, looking at you guys, drowned rats, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. And you're smiling. And I'm thinking to myself, how, how committed are they? <laughs> And I watched God do a miracle. I watched that little blue dot on my radar, you know, where we were. I watched for the next, what, almost four hours. I watched the waters part in the sky. And to the right of us and to the left of us, green was going past and it rained past us. And those people that were standing there getting wet with a good attitude, praying for God to clear the skies, saw the miracle they asked for. And I want to tell you that the thing that impressed me most about Harvest Palooza is your attitude. I didn't hear complaints or gripes or grumble. If you did that, you kept it to yourself. And I want to tell you, I I felt like you were like the Apostle Peter. You just kept coming back. I like that. I respect that. And I want to give you a hand. So here's my my line to start today. If you got to leave early, how do you have a comeback? Well, Peter radically followed Jesus through every situation. He radically followed Jesus. He was there. He was there. He wasn't always perfect, but he was. I said, he wasn't always perfect, but he was. there. One more time, because some of you just looking at me. He wasn't always perfect, but he was always. Hmm. Showing up is 90% of the battle. Skillet, that song that we just sang, the reason we picked that one as the introduction in that video, has this line. It says, I just want to be the one that got up and came back strong. 
And most Sunday mornings, I listen to that album. <laughs> Actually, it's been in my CD player for two and a half years. I won't take it out. Since COVID, I won't take it out. I just want to be the one that got up and came back strong. It doesn't matter what hits. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what life throws your way. You have the power to be the one that gets up off the mat and comes back again. All right. So would you all stand to your feet and honor God's word? I would give you one passage today, but I'm going to bounce through the New Testament like crazy. So our text today is going to be from John chapter 6, verse 66, or John 666. <laughs> By the way, if you didn't get that song, There's Another in the Fire, that song is a reference to the, the, the Hebrew boys who, uh, who said this. This is what they said. I love it. We're, we're not going to bow. And God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. I love that. The attitude of a comeback is we're going to do the right thing no matter what it costs us. So John 6, verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back. What an appropriate 666 verse. Think about it. No, seriously. From this time, many of his disciples, they did what? They turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered. So who answered? Simon Peter. He answered, and he said, Lord, I love this verse. Because anybody ever been in a situation that you feel like it's just falling apart and you don't know where you're going to go or what you're going to do? And you're like, I'm not even sure I believe in you. It, it's all right. I've said those words. I'm not even sure you're real. All right? Lord, to whom shall we go? I love that line. Peter was saying, the reason I'm here is because I want to be with you because I got nowhere else to go that's as good as you. Come on. You have, we have, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What's he saying? Is he said, I'm here because I believe in you. Peter just kept showing up. He just kept being there. So, Father, I pray for the next couple of moments our hearts would be open to what you speak to us from the Scripture. I pray that you would make it very, very clear what we need to do today to have a comeback. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Before you're seated, you've got to turn to somebody and give them a big smile. Somebody has not had a smile today, and nobody's been nice to them, so it's about time you be nice to them. If you're online, big smile to you. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to make this fast. I've got like four sermons within this sermon, but I'm going to make this as fast as I can. So everybody just reach over, grab your seatbelt, buckle it up, let's go. All right, Jesus, or Peter stuck with Jesus regardless of some things. And the first one is overwhelming situations. First story I had to pick about Peter is a famous one. Um, sometimes the settings of our lives are so overwhelming that they knock us down. The story is in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 verse 25 says, shortly after or before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus said to, uh, immediately said to them, take courage it is I. Don't be afraid. Does anybody know what's going on at this time? There's a storm on the lake. There's a big, big storm, and their waves are blowing everywhere, and the wind's blowing everywhere, and, and things are out of control, and they were thinking their boat was going to capsize, and they were going to drown. And they look up, and they see somebody walking to them on the lake, and they're like, it's a ghost. And P Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. 
But Peter, Peter pops off then. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. What a weird request. Your boat's about to sink, and you're thinking, hey, I'd like to walk on the water too. Or maybe just thought, the boat's sinking. I think if I hang on to him, I'll be all right. You know, I don't know what was going through Peter's brain. But I'll tell you what, there were 12 disciples in the boat, and how many of them got out of the boat? One. So, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when? Notice this, the circumstances. Peter is doing, can you imagine the sensory overload? I jumped out of a plane not long ago. Me and my, my kids, we all jumped out of a plane. And um, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever skydived before, but it's, it's sensory overload. I mean, you're there, you go down up, it's 90 degrees on the ground, you're up there, it's 55 degrees. They open the door, all of a sudden you're freezing. The wind's blowing, rushing, it's loud. You know, I'm sitting there in a pair of shorts going, what am I doing? It's freezing here, you know. And then I watch my son disappear out of the plane, and my daughter disappear out of the plane, mother, daughter disappear out of the plane, and I'm like, might as well die with them. Here we go. You know, and I get over to the door, and I'm like holding on. The guy's like tapping my hand and stuff, and I'm, you know, I, I don't, sensory overload. I just go out of the plane, and I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm, I, I don't know if you've ever done that, but if you've ever done anything like that, you're so overload sensory that it's hard to enjoy it because, now the first time I did it, I really didn't enjoy it because I was so sensory overload, so overwhelmed by it, but the second time I did it, it was a little easier, right? Because second time I knew what I was expecting and that kind of thing, and I knew I would survive probably, and... <laughs> At least it wasn't a Groupon this time. I, my wife bought me a Groupon to jump out of a plane. I, and she said, do you have your life insurance paid up? I don't know. Anyway, uh, all of that is to say this, that um, there was sensory overload. And, and that's what Peter, I'm sure, must have been experiencing. Can you imagine the wind and the waves and the boats rocking and flooding? And, and then you see somebody walking on the water, walking on, when have you ever seen anybody walk on the water? Come on. This is, this, and then he's like, uh, he gets out of the boat, and then he's walking on the water. He's like, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe it. And then he goes, what am I, what am I doing? Anybody, anybody ever done that? Like you get a new job, and then you show up at your new job, and two days in, you're like, what am I doing? Or you get a kid the first day you have a baby, and you're like, now what? We came home from the hospital and my wife says, what do we do with them now? <laughs> Is anybody in the room like this, you know? You, you, you're overload and here he is overload. If you are ever in sensory overload, learn the lesson of Peter here. It's, we all give him we all give him grief because he took his eyes off Jesus and he started noticing the wind and waves. And I'm saying, what kind of idiot wouldn't notice the wind and waves? That's not, that's not a failure. I wanted to paint Peter as a failure and I realized that Peter really wasn't a failure. He's the only one that got out of the boat. And then the second thing is, when he got in trouble, he had enough sense to call out to the one who could help him. If you're in sensory overload, if maybe your world's gone crazy, your job or relationship or something just busts up. Listen to what Peter did. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. 
Just simple. He just reached out to Jesus. And what happened? Immediately. <laughs> when? Immediately. Jesus wasn't waiting for him to go under like four or five times. Jesus is not up in heaven saying, when they go under enough, I'll reach out and help them finally. No. Immediately. He reached out his hands. He grabbed them. And he pulled him up. And then he, then he said this. I, I thought this was fun. You a little faith, why did you doubt? I think it's funny that the guy that showed the most faith gets chastised for his faith. You know, we had a couple of football players on my teams over the years. I coached a lot of football. Uh, coached a lot of basketball too, but a lot of football. And you know the ones I gave the most grief to? the ones with the most talent. You know why? Because I expected the quarterback to pull away with the proper foot for a three-step drop or a five-step drop, right? I expected the running back to open his arms the right way, not the wrong way. Are, are y'all following? I expected the linebacker to keep his head up and to hit the hole we told him to or, or to play, you know, the safety to play at a certain level. I expect them to do it because they have the most talent. And some of you, you feel like God's always ragging on you to do better, and the reason is because maybe you've got a lot of talent and you're just not using it the right way. So I, I think this is funny that, you know, Peter gets grief for not having faith, but he was the only one that got out of the boat. He was overwhelmed. He took his eyes off Jesus. Jesus reached out and grabbed him, and they walked together back to the boat. I, can I give you another grandpa example? I don't care. That's where I am right now at grandpa. The other day, my granddaughter's learning to walk. She's, she's learning to walk. And, uh, and, you know, she'll stand up all by herself. She'll take a couple of steps and she'll fall down. Well, the other day, she was holding my finger. And I guess she wasn't thinking about, oh, no, I've taken a couple of steps. It's time to fall down. She held my finger. She didn't even hold it much. But she walked all the way across the room. Do you know why? Because she took her eyes off of this is what I'm supposed to do and held on to me. And if you're in one of those spaces and places where you're a little overwhelmed right now, take your eyes off the problem and put your eyes on Jesus. Call out to Jesus. Yeah. Be like Peter. Show up. Peter showed up. He showed up in the boat. He showed up walking to Jesus. He showed up calling out to Jesus when he was in trouble. Second thing is, is bold confessions. I, I love this story. I wish I had time to preach this story alone. This story is in Matthew chapter 16. And it's in verse 13. And I'm, if you want to open your Bible, you can follow along because I'm going to just move right through this passage into the next one. Um, the story is about a bold confession. So one day, Peter and, uh, Peter and James and John and the other disciples are all with Jesus. And they're walking along and they're headed to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And I wish I had time to show you what all of this is about. But I'll, it'll be a different message. But Jesus asked him a question and he says, when he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, they replied. Notice everybody's replying. This is the cultural answer. Who is Jesus according to the culture? Well, some people say John the Baptist, other Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So there's a cultural. Listen, this is a good sermon for you to think about right here. There's a cultural answer of who Jesus is. Our culture has a view of him like that culture had a view of him. And that may not be right. You know, Jesus is love all the time. Jesus never, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. And that's who Jesus is. The problem is, is that's not all that Jesus ever said. 
<laughs> Jesus finished that judge not yet lest you be judged by saying, with the measure you judge others, you will be judged. So in other words, you're going to judge everybody so that don't judge is not what he said. He said, make sure your judgments are right. But we don't like all of Jesus. We just like the culturally acceptable version of Jesus. Are, are y'all following me here? So there's a cultural view of Jesus. And then, so what happened? When Peter then, uh, uh, Jesus said to, to them, he said, well, what about you guys? Who do you say I am? So Simon Peter, once again, who's the one that talks up? Who's the one that's there? Who's the one that's there emotionally as well as physically? Who's there? Peter. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for it was not real to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So there's a cultural answer of Jesus. And then there's a personal answer of Jesus. And we all have to do this. We all have to step out of culture. And we have to personally say, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, my Savior, my Lord. I confess you as such. This is the personal moment. But I want you to see what happened next. Immediately after this, Jesus then changes it. Because this is the, this personal moment is, the personal moment is where Peter is saved. And some of us have stopped with the personal moment of salvation where we experience salvation from Jesus and we haven't gone to the next step, which, which is where Jesus changed Peter's identity. And what he said is, um, Matthew 16, 18, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build the church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Up until this time, he was, he was called Simon, but he changes his name to Peter. You're now the rock. Peter is really the, the masculine form of the Greek word Petra. Petra means rock, but Peter means, it's a masculine form. It means the little rock. Little rock, not big rock. Petra is big rock. Peter became the little rock. And the little rock that everybody can depend on, and God's going to build his church using the confession that Peter made. He changed Peter's identity from just Simon to being the little rock that we can depend on. Very, very quickly, you may have confessed Jesus as Lord, but you know what you need to do? At some point, you need to step into that next relationship with him where you allow him to change your identity of who you are because he's got something he wants to do in you and through you that can never be done as long as you're hanging on to just a cultural view of Jesus or even a salvation view of Jesus. At some point, you have to step into this relational identity view of Jesus. That's, I, like I said, I should develop that in a sermon, but I didn't have time today. But notice this, after Peter is the rock, you're just one moment away from a crash. This is literally three verses later. From that time on, since they knew who Jesus was, Jesus began to explain to his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. <laughs> so Peter lay, or Jesus lays it all out. I'm going to die on a cross at the hands of the elders. I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to raise on the third day. And what was Peter's response to this? Mr. Rock, what did he say? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, Never, Lord. Have you ever, have you ever thought that maybe God's plan for your life does not look and feel like you thought God's plan for your life should look and feel? Am I the only person that's been there? And I'm like, God, I thought you were going to, and you did this instead. Yeah, yeah, we got our signals crossed somewhere. What Peter does, though, is he, he says, okay, 
this is not what I thought it would be, so I'm going to rebuke you and say, no, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. So what did Jesus do? <laughs> Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. Now, come on, this was probably not a good day in Peter's life. When, uh, when Jesus, the one you pledge your love and devotion to, calls you Satan, that's probably not a good moment, right? And, and sometimes, just beware. Even if God's working in you, there is a moment where you can get your thoughts confused with his thoughts, and Jesus is going to have to step in and tell you, no, 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 no. You shut up. We're doing it my way. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of others, but merely human concerns. Now, if I were to say something like that to half of this church, you guys would get butt hurt, and half of those wouldn't show up ever again. Because we live in a world we can't be offended. Everybody can't be offended. If you want to have a comeback in your life at some point, you got to toughen up a little bit. you got to be willing to hear the truth that life is not the way you always want it to be, and there might be truth is greater than your little knowledge. And that Jesus is Lord, and what he says is true, whether you like it or not. If that's offensive to you, good. Because the cross is offensive. The world we live in is so afraid of being offended. But the church of which we're a part needs to embrace these moments of offense so we can be corrected. All right. So Peter, notice, Jesus calls Peter Satan. And the very next chapter, Peter is still there. Because Peter just kept what? Kept coming back, kept showing up. So he had these confusing moments. I, I, I wish I had time to develop this too. Matthew chapter 17, verse 4. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. What happened is they go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that's where Jesus has changed before their eyes and his glory that he had in heaven before the world began. Sometimes the veil pulls back a little bit. He starts talking to Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets about how he's going to complete and fulfill those covenants and how there's going to be a new future. And, and the glory of God just bursts out of him and he, his clothing has changed, his face has changed, and Jesus is shining in his glory. And Peter, Peter, he was there, and he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I like this. I like this. <laughs> Can't you see that? <laughs> I like this. Your glory. Wow, this is cool. And it's good for us to be here. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll build three shelters. I'll build one for you and for Moses and Elijah, and, and we'll just have a party. And while he was still speaking, I want you to see this. While he was still speaking, this time it wasn't Jesus that rebuked him. It was God the Father that rebuked him. When was the last time God the Father spoke from heaven and told you to shut up? Here he is. And a voice from a cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Peter, listen to him. <laughs> Come on. This is a pretty, he just got called Satan. Now God Almighty speaks from the cloud and tells him to shut up. Do you think Peter might learn? Nah. 
But he was there. He was there. And then, and then just a little later in the chapter, down in verse 24, they come to, they go back to the hometown. They're in the uh, Capernaum. And the tax collectors of the true drachma temple tax came to Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Well, yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came to the house, Jesus was the first to speak. And he said, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children, from others. Well, from others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt. In other words, Peter just stuck his foot in his mouth in front of the people of his hometown. And Peter gets once again, rebuked by Jesus. But by the way, where was Peter again? He was there. Hmm. I wonder if any of these statements had any impact on Peter. There is a letter written by Peter much later. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He says this, We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were on him, with him on the sacred mountain. What, this made an impact. Made an impact that if you show up, if you keep getting up, it'll change your life for the rest of your life. All right. Well, last one, outright, outright denial. This is the rough one. I think you all know it. But let me, let me paint it just real quick. On the night of Last Supper, Peter promised never to deny Jesus. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And yet, Peter denied Christ, even though he said he wouldn't. Three times. First of all, now Peter was sitting in the courtyard. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. Can we stop for a second? Where was Peter when he denied Christ? He was in the courtyard of the trial where Jesus was being condemned to death. Where were the other disciples? Somewhere else. John and Peter. Once again, Peter was there. He may have done wrong, but he was there. Did you, if somebody's always there, do you have to really question where their heart is? I know they make mistakes. Come on. I've been married a long time. My wife, God bless her heart, she has to put up with imperfect me. But you know what? I'm there. 34 years, I'm there. I show up at night, she can't get rid of me. I still pray with her and give her a kiss every night, whether she likes it or not. And if I'm not home, you know what I do? I call and pray with her every night. You know why? Because like Peter, I may be a total loser, but at least my wife and kids in this church and my world knows if I'm supposed to be there, I'm there. I may goof up doing it, but I'm there. This is what came across to me in this passage. Is I always sort of picked on Peter, but you know where Peter was? The reason he denied Christ is he was the one place nobody else would be. We give him a hard time, but at least he was there. So what happened? Slave girl, sitting in the courtyard, a servant girl came to him and said, you were with Jesus of Galilee, you denied it before them all. He said, I don't know what you're talking about, he said. To another slave girl, second, Matthew chapter 26, 71, he went out of the gateway. There another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And then there are several people sitting around, and, and 70, verse 73, after a little while, those sitting, uh, standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses because he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. So Peter was there. You know what, though? This was the final straw for Peter. It was the place that I think he thought, 
I've now gone too far. Come on, I've been rebuked. I've been called Satan by Jesus. I almost got drowned in the waves. I, you know, God Almighty from heaven spoke and told me to shut up. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I'm just a loser. I denied Christ. And this is how he responded. There was one time in Peter's life he wasn't there. It's in John chapter 21, 3. He said, I'm going out to fish. Now, to go to fish... Peter had to leave Jerusalem and go back to the Sea of Galilee. That's 75 miles with no transportation except your feet. 75 miles. That takes a couple of days to do that. Peter basically said, I've been there, I've been there, I've been there, but I've gone too far. He knew Jesus was resurrected. He had already appeared to him in Jerusalem. He knew Jesus was resurrected, but he said, I've gone too far. I'm out. And if you're one of those people that you've always showed up, you've always showed up, you've always showed up, then you made what you think is the colossal error you can never overcome. That's where Peter was here. And I want to show you what happened at that moment. John chapter 21, verse 3, they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Yeah, Peter was a lousy fisher. Every time you find Peter in the Bible, he can't catch a fish. So don't take him on your yearly fishing trip. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, reaction kicked back in, it's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him before he had taken it off, and he jumped in the water, and he went to shore. Then notice what happened in verse 17, the third time. So three times Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? So this third time he said to him, Simon, John, son of John, do you love me? Notice he called him Simon. Back to the old identity. Hey, Simon, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love him. And Jesus said, he restored him back to his identity. You take care of my sheep. I want you to see one thing in this, is that Peter showed up, showed up, showed up, showed up, showed up. And the one time Peter said, I've gone too far, and he quit. That's when Jesus showed up for him. If you're faithful, God will never disown you because God cannot be faithless. If you think you've gone too far, I just want you to know that Jesus is hunting you now. He's going to where you're at, where you run to. He's hunting you. Because he loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants you to experience the comeback. Did Peter have a comeback? Well, of course. Everybody in this place knows Simon Peter. People who don't know anything about the gospel knows Simon Peter by name because Peter became the spokesman of the church. Acts 2, 1 through 4, Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. 3,000 people got saved. A couple days later, he healed a blind man, or a, a man who couldn't walk. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. Now, Peter was a guy that was constantly having like punches. He was rocky. You know, he was getting the snot kicked out of him every time. But he just kept coming back. And I wonder if there's a message of encouragement from him. I've got a video I want you to listen, but I want you to listen specifically for something. There's a story here. The story is a story of redemption. But I want you to listen specifically where their encouragement came from because I want to talk to you about it in a second. 2018 was a hard year for our family. 
I was pregnant three times and none of those pregnancies ended with a healthy baby. On January 24th, we lost baby Corbin. On September 26th, we lost baby Israel. On January 4th of this year, we lost a third baby, which we named Redemption. After each loss, my heart responded in a different way. But in turn, after each loss, God taught me something different from his word about his character. After we lost Corbin, I learned the value of knowing God's word in scripture, about knowing what I believe about God before something hard happens so that then I have scripture to fall back on to. After we lost Israel, I learned the value of not just knowing the words in the Bible, but knowing the God behind the Bible, knowing God's character through knowing scripture. During that time, our church was studying in 1 Peter, and I was so encouraged when I saw um, in that passage that our faith is tested through trial, but then is found to be genuine. And we lost Corbin on a Wednesday. It was a sudden loss. and. Um, I remember telling Jack on Friday that I was more sure of my salvation on Friday than I was on Tuesday, and I'm super thankful for that. No one has ever promised a healthy baby, just like we aren't promised health or wealth or physical safety on earth, but what has been promised to me has been abundantly given. God cared for my heart. He carried me. He taught me truth in scripture. So during that year, Jack and I had been dreaming about our redemption story. The story that we would tell alongside our four healthy children of how God redeemed our loss. And uh, we were really excited to find out what that story would be. And we found out we were pregnant with Israel on what would have been Corbin's due date. And we thought, yes, this is it. This is gonna be our redemption story. God is gonna bring life after a loss. But as we lost and then lost again, our hope for redemption dwindled. But here's what I learned through all of that. What I had thought all along is that redemption simply must look like a healthy full-term baby after a loss. That's the only way that God would be glorified and that my suffering would prove to be fruitful. But no, I cannot ask a child to do what only Christ can do. He taught me to believe truth found in scripture even when my emotions are tempting me to believe lies. Never in my life have I been more joyfully and quietly content that I have everything I need in Christ. I may never get my rainbow baby, which is a baby born after a loss, but I have Christ, and Christ is sufficient. So what happens when your comeback doesn't look like your preferred ending? What happens? Do you quit? I want you to notice, did you notice the scripture she quoted? Who was the scripture written by? Peter. The guy who wouldn't quit, who just kept coming back to Jesus and Jesus restored him over and over again. The guy who experienced loss after loss after loss. The comeback may not be your preferred ending. Maybe it's God making a preferred you. Maybe it's making you into the person of character and strength and the testimony to overcome. Maybe you won't get your marriage back. I don't know what it is. Maybe you won't get that job. Maybe, maybe it won't work out the way you prefer it. But the message of Peter and the message of this lady is the same. If you keep showing up and you keep coming back, your Redeemer will use your life in a way that glorifies him 
and you can experience the joy and the closeness of an almighty God. You can experience that. It was a little heavier than I wanted it to be today. You know, I'm usually a, woo-woo, let's go. But today, I had to embrace a side of Peter that I didn't embrace before. And that's that it's not always the preferred ending, but it is the, the coming back. You're always there. You keep getting up off the mat. And trust me, the one time that you're on the mat and you think you can't get up, that'll be the time Jesus will show up and say, come on, let's do this. I don't know which place you're at. I don't know whether you're at the place where, you know, I believe and I'm gotten up and I'm going to go. If that's you, God bless you. But if you're at that place today that you're like, I'm on the mat, I can't get up. I want to encourage you today that Jesus is here and he's reaching out his hand and he's saying, come on, come on, do you love me? If you love me, let's do this. If you love me, let's do this. So I'd ask you to bow your heads with me for a sec. So, simple question. Do you feel like you're in one of those places where you're on the mat and you need, you, you feel like you can't come back? Maybe you feel like you've been knocked down, it's too far. If that's you, I'd just like to pray with you. Would you just wave your hand at me real quick? You don't have to lift it high, but just wave. Yeah. Yeah. People all around this room. I just want to encourage you, Jesus is here today. I want to pray with you now. Jesus, I pray that those that feel like things that may have gone too far, too wrong, too long, I want you to reach down and grab them and lift them up and encourage them. We're not in this for the preferred endings on earth. We're in this for the preferred endings of eternity. And I pray that you would give hope and encouragement right now and that, Jesus, you would show them your love. You would embrace them with your love. And today, they would know that you're reaching out to them, that you showed up where they're at to show them the love of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Um, I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come. And if you're in the room and you haven't, come on, prayer teams, if you haven't uh, given your heart to Christ or maybe you've got a situation you're in, you want to make a profession of Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, or maybe you want somebody to pray with you today about a situation you're in, we have uh, prayer teams here, and they're going to be available for you. They're going to be up here at the front. We're going to sing this song. I'm going to invite everybody to stand. If you want somebody to pray with you, you want to confess Jesus as your Lord, we got somebody here waiting to pray with you. You want, to, you want somebody to pray with you through a situation, get up off the mat. This is your day. Would you stand with me and let's sing this song together?